Welcome back to Bleacher Brawls, the home of the greatest rivalry in professional sports. We have a great episode coming at you in a few, but first we have to tell you about all of the places you can find us. BleacherBrawls.com is the home for our Yankees and Red Sox columns, football, basketball, soccer content, as well as movie reviews, quizzes, and plenty of trash talk. Our YouTube channel has a few videos a week with picks, predictions, our prospect pipeline series, and more. Our main social media hub is Twitter, at Bleacher Brawl, where you can give us any feedback, ask us any questions, follow us to be the first to hear about our latest content. This podcast is available on your listening app of choice, and when you finish listening to today's super exciting episode, you'll want to drop us a five-star review. Let's get on with the show. everybody we are going to get started uh for anybody uh here in our live twitter space on wednesday night or maybe listen to this a couple days later on the podcast feed on monday morning welcome to the show this is our first episode of from farm to fenway we're going to do our preseason edition of checking in on some of our red sox prospects uh, my name is Patrick. I'm here with Luke and Derek. Uh, before we jump into it, I just want to really just make sure these guys are here. Twitter's working. It's We're all working, and we are good to go. So, uh, Luke and Derek, are you with me? Are you guys ready to go? I'm here. I wasn't sure I'd be here. Uh looked like Twitter was a little musked up uh, a couple hours ago, uh, but it looks like everything's working pretty well now. Yeah, but I'm here too. Just uh, yeah, Twitter didn't. Twitter today was not very friendly, uh, but it seems like everything's under control now. All right, great, fellas. Let's go ahead and jump into it. So we wanted to do a little bit of sort of a, a mini series, if you will. Um, it's, a, it's an exciting time for the Red Sox farm system. It's the first time it's been an exciting time for the farm system in what seems like a very long time. And, you know, we've been hearing for a couple of years now about uh, what will we call him, Bleacher Brawl's Bloom's secret plan, his plan for long-term sustainability. And we're at that point now where the organization has built up the farm a little bit, and we're starting to have some positive problems. Where are these guys going to go? Where are they going to play? Are they going to get any playing time? Uh, what do we do with them, right? Um, and so we have a couple things that we want to cover tonight. Um, all the guys that have been in the news recently, uh, the Bayos, the Cassis, the Rafaelas of the world, we're going to talk uh, farm system rankings, we're going to talk spring training, world baseball classic, all that kind of preseason stuff, and then we'll probably check in you know, a little bit later in the season. Um, I'm going to start uh, with Brian Bayo tonight. Um, we're going to start with the one guy who's no longer considered a quote-unquote prospect, by graduation definition, but he does have a really interesting uh, situation. He is one of seven guys fighting for a spot in the five-man rotation. Uh, you've got this Sale, Kluber, Pavetta, Paxton, Hauk, Whitlock, Bayo issue, along with you know some other guys, the Cutter Crawford, the Josh Winkowskis of the world, some other guys on the 40-man roster, but Bayo is the guy who excites uh, the fan base probably uh, more than most of those names. Uh, working this offseason, of course, a lot with Pedro Martinez. He gets a lot of comparisons 
to a young Pedro. The question now is where is Brian Bayo going to be when the season starts? Is he going to be in the rotation? Is he going to be in the bullpen? Is he even going to be in triple A? He has 58.2 career uh, innings in triple A versus 57 and a third in the majors. So pretty similar kind of did a bit of a leap because we needed a more um, uh, on the Boston roster last, last year, excuse me. Um, so where is he going to go? Derek, I'll start with you. Does Brian Bayo start the year in a Boston uniform? Does he start the year in AAA? What do you think we're going to see him uh, at the beginning of the year? I'll start by prefacing this before I let you guys know my thoughts on where exactly Bayo starts. Um, you look at Bayo's last year, and there was just improvements all over the place, all over the board throughout his MLB stint. And the real improvement I saw and that the numbers show is you look at from when he came back uh, off the injured list on August 24th up up through his second to last start of the season. The last start of the year against Toronto, four innings, gave up four runs. There were some struggles in that start. Um, so his seven appearances from August 24th to September 25th, seven, all seven of them starts, 36 and a third innings. Uh, he had a 2.48 ERA and a 2.65 FIP. Actually, if you include that Toronto start, the FIP is still only 2.64, uh, although the ERA balloons to just over three. Um, the big thing though is uh, his his BABIP against was 3.36, which was down because overall his BABIP was near 400 against. Um, so hopefully that BABIP against him drops even lower, and maybe that leads to even more success. Um, but there was definitely clear improvements at the big league level, and he proved that he can pitch at the big league level. Now, will he start 2023 in the big league level? It's a little bit of a layered question because they really have, you know, like you said, maybe seven guys. I still think Hulk does end up in the bullpen. So even if we say six guys fighting for five rotation spots, and it doesn't seem like any of them are headed for the bullpen, Bale seems like the Ottoman out in terms of having options and being sent and sending him down because they're not going to send Whitlock down. So when I start to look at it, it seems like eh, maybe Bale and what Heim said, maybe Bale ends up in AAA. However, I think Brian Bale pitches his way onto the roster, into the starting rotation, and he will be on the opening day roster for the Red Sox because he earned that spot in spring training and pitches very well in spring training. Luke, what do you think? Does uh, Bayo start the year in AAA? Does he start the year on the big league roster? If he starts the year in AAA, I'm just wondering what the hell we're doing here. Uh, it, it feels like this is the time for him to come up. He finished off strong last year. Derek, what was his injury last year that he came back from in August? Um, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I can look it up. Was it an arm? It wasn't an arm thing, right? No, it definitely wasn't an arm injury. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't really understand the logic. And I, he seems like he's ready. He really handled himself well at the end of the year. Um, and I think this is the time to see what he's got. I mean, clearly it's not an all-in kind of season. There's a lot with him being up there, Tristan Casas uh, being up there. Just, you know, we're seeing what we got uh, with certain guys. And we just, it doesn't, it's certainly not an all in World Series or bust kind of year. It's a let's see what we got in the future. Some people call it a bridge year. I don't feel like, I don't think of it like a bridge year. I think of it as a, 
part one of bringing up, uh, entering, ushering in the new generation of players. And he's at the forefront of that. They want him to be, they're really hoping he's going to be the ace. So I, I don't think there's any sense whatsoever in starting him in the league. Uh, this year at AAA. You start with him in the rotation, at the bottom of the rotation. You don't need to put undue pressure on him, but in the mix, definitely. Um, my favorite thing about Bayo is that there's only... he has He's a four-pitch pitcher. Now, you could say he throws a curveball too, but it looks like he threw it five times last year. But of his four pitches... Um, you know, Derek probably knows this already, but anybody want to guess? Anybody want to guess what pitch he throws uh, the least out of his four main pitches? Uh, Derek, Derek, I'm sure you know. Um, the pitch he throws the least. Well, what are we considering? Sinker, changeup, slider, forcing, curveball. That's technically five pitches. But no, but I just said the curveball, he only threw five times last year. So, so I'm not it's just, yeah, it's four seam. Um, I was waggy. I was looking at it like five minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's, but it's the fastball. The f- he throws his fastball less than any other pitch. He's sinker 35% of the time, change up 23% of the time, slider 22% of the time, fastball 18% of the time. He feels like a really unique pitcher. I like sinker change up pitchers because they, uh, you know, if everything works out right, they're not giving up many home runs. Uh, and they're getting a lot of ground balls and strikeouts. Uh, the, the only thing, Derek said something that kind of makes me, the BABIP thing, I don't think necessarily that, now, Bayo's an exception. He had a lot of weak contact last year, and he had some bad luck. I mean, I saw it with my own eyes. A lot of bloopers, a lot of infield singles, soft grounders through the hole. You know, that kind of luck's going to even out. But just because your BABIP is high doesn't necessarily mean you were unlucky. Your BABIP can be high if you're just giving up a lot of missiles into gaps and off walls and out of the park. Uh, so that taken on its own, oh, this BABIP is really high So last year, so he must be really good this year. I think you got to look at BABIP with a lot of context. Uh, a pitcher's BABIP, I should say. You got to look at that with a lot of context. But you look at the stuff that he has, uh, the fact that he throws four pitches uh, quite a bit, and I mean what we've seen with uh, from him with our own eyes. I, he's he seems like he's the real deal. Don't screw around with him in AAA. You're not doing anything for him in AAA. He's shown that he can dominate those hitters. Let's see what he can do at the big level at the big league level. No sense in starting him in Worcester this year. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll bring on the Babbitt maybe for a second. Babbitt, a 4 of 4 Babbitt against, though, is astronomically high. But also, too, you look at you know some of the advanced numbers off just his pitches in general. And especially when you look at the sinker, uh, expected batting average against a sinker was 274. The actual batting average against it was 402. And expected batting average is based on how hard the balls hit, the launch angle, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the expected slugging against his sinker was 384. The actual slugging against it was 526. So that just shows that he was unlucky. The expected average of one of his pitches was what 384? Did you say? The expected average against the expected batting average against his sinker was 274, based on the balls hit off his sinker. Oh, but the actual batting average was 402. 
Right, but what was the second one that you gave? Didn't you just give that was expected? That was the expected slugging for the singer. Oh, oh, the slug. The expected slugging was three eighty four, and the actual slugging was five twenty six. I thought you said the expected batting average against the changeup was uh, against another pitch was three eighty four, and I was like, "Wow, that's awful." He's he's maybe a lot worse than I realized. So, guys, I want to ask you this. I don't want to spend too much time on um, the Major League roster as it stands right now, but I feel like it would be disingenuous not to ask you guys, well, if you both see him um, with a spot in the rotation, who are the other four guys and who are we leaving out? I mean, believe it or not, right now, the the top story on MLB Trade Rumors is called the Volatile Red Sox Rotation. So they're asking themselves the same question. Uh, Dave Bush, Cora, Hein, they've all made it pretty clear that they're going five-man rotation. So if he takes what's probably that fifth spot, um, who are the other four? Who are you leaving out? I mean, personally, I got Sale, Whitlock, Pavetta, Paxton and Bayo. Yeah, I have the same thing, but it wouldn't shock me if they stuck Paxton in the rotation and maybe move Pavetta to the pen because he was inconsistent last year. And they can always move him back to the start if they need it. But it, it is weird. I mean, who knows? Maybe it's smoke and mirrors and they will go with the six man if Bayo pitches well at spring training. You never know. It could They could be doing all these this just smoke and mirrors, five-man rotation, yada, 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 and they actually come out with the six man. Well, who's the sixth that you see then? If if it's a sixth, it would be eight. Sale, Kluber, Pavetta, Paxton. Oh, Lockett, I forgot about Bayo. Hold on, hold on. I forgot all about Kluber. So yeah, it's going to be Kluber, and then I think it's going to be Kluber, and not Paxton. So Sale, Sale, Pavetta, Kluber, Whitlock, Bayo in that order. That's the way I see it. And I don't know where the 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 this idea of Pavetta coming out of the bullpen bullpen seemed to get legs, but. I don't think that's going to happen. He had he had way more innings than anybody else did in the starting rotation. And you need innings out of this rotation. And though he was up and down, I mean, it, he he's he's good enough that I could see him making a, a leap this year. I'm not expecting it the way I did last year. That got me into trouble. But I, he's Pavetta's got to be in the rotation, and Bayo's got to be in the rotation. The problem is, who do you leave out? Because it seems like they're hell-bent on keeping Paxton in the rotation, too. And I think that's the problem. And there seems hell-bent on Whitlock, too. So that's that's the problem. That's why it's, I think it's yeah. stupid that they insist on going with a five-man rotation. Why not go with a six-man rotation? If, if you're going to have 12 pitchers, you know, six six starters, six relievers, that's enough. If, 13 if pitchers. 13. Is that what they're... Is that what yeah, they... that's every team does thirteen because that's the max maximum maximum amount of pitchers you can carry. So every team carries thirteen for the most part. I'm still not used to this twenty six man roster thing. I think it'll also be interesting to see how some of these guys, uh, like the Cutter Crawfords, the Winkowskis, Walter, Mata, Murphy, how their options are used, and maybe we see a little Tampa North action here. And, you know, that 26 guy is just, you know, whoever is is fresh from Worcester. But um, lots to think about, lots to see uh, shake out in spring training. Um, definitely, Derek, your thing about uh, smoke and mirrors is an interesting thought. I want to move on now to um, the other guy who who we all believe to be Major League ready, Tristan Casas. Okay. Um, looks to be the everyday starting first baseman uh, in 2023. He says a few weeks ago. My personal goal is to play 
150 plus games and then follows that up with i think if i do that i'll win plenty of awards so the question will he will he play 150 games in boston this year he has 284 career games in the minors over the course of four seasons um is he going to be able to do that? You know, Justin Turner has mentioned playing a little bit of first base this year. Um, that was, you know, one of the reasons why they wanted him uh, to be the DH. Uh, Derek, I'll start with you. Casas, 150 games. What do you think? I love Casas, but I, I, you tell me a rookie playing 150 games, I'm not buying it. I don't care who that rookie is. Just because of off days in general. I could see Cassis even just based on off days not playing 150 games. Then we start coming in, maybe he has to miss a couple of days because of a small thing here or there, and it's like, I can see him not playing 150 games. I know, obviously, maybe he does and maybe he proves me wrong, but until he does it, I'm not going to say he's for sure playing 150 games. But he will be an everyday cog in that lineup. Luke? I agree. I don't think he's going to ever play um, 150 games in his rookie year. I, I don't know how many guys actually do that, but um, did you say 284 games in the last four years? I'm pretty sure that's an average of about 70 games per year. So I don't think we want to, especially after he came off an ankle injury last year, I don't think we want to double uh, the the um, over double the amount of games that he's played in a season um, uh, over double of the maximum, well, the average anyway, that he's ever played in a single season in professional baseball. But I think that's what he should say. That's what you want to hear a player say, saying, I want to go out there and play every day and kick ass and win awards and, you know, be great. It's, I I don't have any problem with him uh, saying that and, making that his goal, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. They're going to be careful with him. They're going to, I mean, maybe he gets to 130 or so, but I don't think he's going to play against many lefty starters to start with. And uh, I don't think, at least to begin with, I think he'll probably be pinch hit for in a lot of situations, late in games against tough lefty relievers, at least early on in the season. If you got Rob Refsnyder on the bench who hit 350-something, off lefties last year um you might have justin turner on the bench in some uh, circumstances there like no way he gets to 150 yeah i'll say this too uh although pitch inning late in games doesn't take away the game played so you would still get credit for playing that game uh last year the top three uh, rookies and games played uh i'll go from three to one steven kwan played 147 geraldo perdomo played 148 and then bobby witt jr played 150 on the dot Yeah, I know you get credit for a game played if you're if you're removed for a pinch hitter. That was just kind of a side note there, but I don't. I, I think they're going to rest him. They're not going to throw him into the, you know, into the Marianas Trench in his first season. So let me follow it up with this then. Okay, uh, we'll just say uh, we'll say 150 just to make the math easy. Okay. Um, he does. He's a nice, healthy season. He's a Bobby Wood Jr. We're playing him just about every day. I'm curious how many of those games are uh, at first base and how many of those he's going to DH uh, in a way to give him some semi-regular rest uh, without, uh, you know, while, while keeping him in the lineup still. 
Uh, Derek, any thoughts on that? Uh, I think over 90% of his games come at first base because I'm not fully sold at on Justin Turner being the legit backup first baseman. Um, and that kind of leaves you right now. Fangraphs has a, the Red Sox roster. They still have Bobby Dahlbeck projected on the bench, which, yes, he'd be a backup first baseman, but you're not playing Bobby Dahlbeck, you know, 30 games at first base just to make sure Cassis DHs a little bit. Not playing um, Dahlbeck at all. <laughs> so, I, I mean, idea. like, I've brought up before, like, maybe you can get Ref Snyder to maybe move back to, like, because he used to play first base a little bit, so maybe you get you know, four or five games of him at first base, maybe, but I don't, I don't think they're going to do that, but maybe that'd be an interesting way to circumvent it. I know Red Sox fans don't really want to see a Royal at first base ever again after he got injured in his first game at first base. Um, so yeah, I think you see him play over 90% of his games at first base. I'd say 95% of his games will be at first base. I don't think they – he's a really good defense – he's projected to be a really good defensive first baseman. He's he's there. He's going to – if he's in the lineup, they're going to want him in the lineup uh, for his offense and his defense to take advantage of both of those things at the same time. He's young. He doesn't have many innings under uh, under his belt yet. Um you know, I don't think he's going to be DHing much. I think, you know, other than Turner, I think Devers is probably going to see the most time at DH because he's the guy they, they just bought 11 years of, and he's the one that they're really going to want to preserve uh, over the course of the season, especially after he had a back issue last year. He had the hammy issue. Um, just, I, 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 I think just a few token games at DH for Casas, like less than eight Less than eight games at DH. All right, guys. Thanks for that. Uh, let's transition now to, uh, I think, the prospect that, uh, well, I know the prospect that sort of broke out last year. Uh, Red Sox fans are really excited about. Um, had uh, a, a great season uh, defensively, playing both shortstop and center field. Those up the middle positions that we talk about all the time. And that is Rafaela, right? He's the guy that shot up the rankings this past year. And people are starting to say, okay, he's going to find his way in AAA. Uh, you know, wh- where is he going to win? Is he going to make an impact in Boston? Because that is, is the kind of defensive versatility and, at the same time, kind of breakout season that we've been looking for for a prospect of his caliber. So let me ask you guys this. There was a lot of, will we see Rafaela in Boston? Will we see Rafaela in Boston? Seems less and less likely now with the reinforcements of Adam Duvall and Adalberto Mondesi. Okay. Uh, MLB.com ranks Rafaela 86th on their top 100 prospects list, but Next to that says ETA 2023. My question, with Kike Hernandez being the major league equivalent when it comes to defensive versatility, will we see Rafaela in a Boston uniform in 2023? Derek, I'll start with you. Um, So if you guys listen to Bleach Rose, you guys know I'm high on Rafaela, and I've been high on Rafaela even before the 22 season. Um, and we're going to get this off first thing, uh, pronunciation of his name. It's, uh, Sadon Rafaela. Uh, so we'll get that, uh, just in case you don't know that. Um, but the, I will say this, I love him, love his defense, but the approach of the plate still has a very long way to go. So 
I never considered him an option to start in the big leagues in 2023. Um, I I didn't I I mean he hasn't played in, he hasn't even played in AAA yet. So let him play in AAA. Depending on how he does there, if he if he shows that his approach is advanced and he starts and he doesn't chase outside of the zone, and by chase out of the side of the zone, it doesn't have anything to do with strikeouts. What actually ends up happening to him is he chases outside the zone and it just leads to weak contact because he can get the bat to the ball. But the problem is you don't want to get the bat to the ball on those pitches that you're not going to do anything with. Um, you, you need to lay off those pitches, and he's struggled at times to do that. So the approach still has some ways to go. All the, t- the tools are there, though. Um, I think there's a chance you could see him late in 23, maybe a September call-up, maybe a little bit earlier depending on how he's doing and how the Red Sox season is going. Um but I, I don't think you see him until at the very earliest August, but most likely September if he does get called up this season. What does he? Where, where does he chase? Does he? Ch- is he like Kit Keller? Does he? He can't lay off the high ones, or do you? Do I you don't. I don't know. Um, I don't actually. I don't know. But it's um, from what I've seen or what pe- other people have said who've actually gone to games. I haven't seen anything about exactly which out of the zone pitches. It's just. Out of chasing out of the zone on, in general. How old is he? Uh, Rafaela is twenty two. Doesn't turn twenty three until September eighteenth. Okay. I don't think we'll see him this year unless they suck and they're out of it uh, in September. Then they'll call him up and give him a shot. I don't. I, I think they got enough. Now they got Duval. They got enough outfielders, and there's really no need to force the issue. With him, I think they would like him to get a full season in AAA, working against AAA pitchers and getting that down. I mean, if his if his hitting tool was already at you know maybe close to MLB level, then I think yeah, they'd want to see him up there a little sooner. But I think if all goes according to plan, he doesn't. According to the the secret plan, don't talk about it. If all goes according to the plan, then he'll he won't make his debut until 2024. But if the wheels come off mid season and they're out of contention, we'll see him in September. I get excited about him because he's already got the defense down at a premium position, and once you can play defense that well, it's not like you got to work your ass off on defense. You gotta you can just you already know how to do that. You're not going to lose that. And def- good defense doesn't usually go in slumps the way hitting does. So he's not going to he's not going to forget how to play good defense. I don't think he's going to get the yips not playing in center field anyway. Um, so I think a player like that who's already got the defense down just has to work on the hitting. I get excited about guys like that because the hitting will come with more at bats, with more at bats in Triple A, um, and just with more time in the cage, with more time working with uh, major league level hitting coaches. Um, he's he's probably the prospect that I'm most excited about. If you don't count Casas or Bayo, since they're I don't think of them as prospects anymore. Um, but yeah, I don't think that we'll see him this year unless everything kind of falls apart. My question is, what is his nickname going to be when the players are talking about him in press conferences and stuff after, well, like the locker room after the game? Are they going to call him Donnie? Uh, if his name is Saydon, I got to believe they're either going to call him Say or they're going to call him Donnie. It seems like Seti. 
is what it's going to be. No, I reject that. That that's I don't approve. Oh my gosh! I think Luke, to your point about uh, you know the wheels falling off, I think you know there were similar conversations last year. Nobody expected to see a Brian Bayo uh, pitch in the majors, and you know now it turns out he's going to be in this rotation and it's no longer even considered a prospect now. So um, you know I think how he's ending up on this ETA twenty twenty three is. Anything can happen. Um, you know, uh, we, we, injuries abound last year. If yeah, God Jesus, forbid, what a disaster. If thing happens, um, you know, I think he's one of those um, high-profile names that uh, that could get the call. Yeah, what a disaster that would be because Bayo was pitching because the whole rotation got hurt at once. Imagine, like, something some, like Duval goes down, Verdugo goes down, Kike goes down, and they got, they got Rafaela and Ref Snyder both playing in the outfield every day. It's going to be a long season. Yeah, it might not even be the outfield getting injured because, remember, he can still play short and second. So, it could, I mean, what happens if we get more middle in, some middle infield injuries? Yeah, I mean, he can still play middle infield too. I think that's another thing. It's like he's got elite defense in center, but he's also an above-average defender at, up the middle in the infield too. But I think you – I mean, they want, but they don't want him sitting on the bench and playing shortstop, you know, twice a week just to get reps in. They want him playing every day in the minor leagues. I think before that happens, you might get your wish and see Bobby Dalbeck playing shortstop again. No, but what I meant, I meant by that, if they're like having injuries that bad and they need someone to play every day, right? Like, I know. He's I still an option. Still, I think they'd still be like, no, you need your at bats in the minors. We'll we'll do something drastic. We'll have. A oh, role. I'm talking later in the season, though, not like beginning of the season. I'm talking like, you know, we get towards like August and Story still like something happened with Story's rehab, and then like Mondesi goes down, and then like Arroyo goes down, and then like Kike goes down, and it's like who's playing middle infield and. He would he would be an option. All right, uh, let's transition to our next topic. Um, I think one of the names that everybody uh, wants us to be talking about, and so we're gonna, uh, is Miguel Blaze. Um, he had um, quite the sort of I, I don't know if I want to say breakout, but we've got some eyes on him now, right? Uh, definitely the the low miners. A version of the same conversation, right? Uh, he's making some waves, starting now to appear on some top 100 prospect lists. Let's run some of these down. The Athletic puts him at 72 in all of uh, major league, or excuse me, all of the minor leagues. Baseball America puts him at 88. MLB.com at 93. So the question: What can the 18-year-old Miguel Blaze do this year? to make him the next minor league breakout star. And the next time we do this show in a couple of months, he's going to be the headline of the show. Derek, how, what does he have to do um, to be the number one thing that we talk about and not the number four thing that we talk about? Well, I don't think he'll be the number one thing we talk about with when Marcelo Meyer continues his uh, ascension through the minor leagues. Um, but I think Mickey Blaze has really kind of jumped off as – Oh, the White Sox might have something here because, you know, it was one. He's one of those guys coming out of the Dominican League in twenty, uh, heading into twenty two, um, and he was going to play in, in a rookie ball in the um, in the FCL, and it was like, okay, it's like he look. He's, he showed. It seemed like from what, everything we were hearing, you know, he's got the tools and he's got all the raw tools, right? And he comes over, and you just hear like rave reviews. Everyone's like 
this guy's got all the tools, got all the potential. It's still a long way to go. Um, and it's still very early on in his development, but he checks all the boxes at his age. And, you know, he had a very good year in the FCL and you're looking for him in 22 and uh, 23 to just continue his development. It'll start the year in low a, you know, uh, I think he'll be fine in the outfield. I think he'll stick in center uh, in the minor leagues. I mean, maybe he'll move. Maybe he gets moved to right because he does have a very good arm as well. Um, especially at Fenway, you know, ha- you need a second center fielder realistically in right field. Um, but that's more of like a long term thing. Um, but yeah, he good. He's I think he'll be good defensively. He can run. He's got a good arm. You know, he, his hit tools there. He's he's got uh, raw power. Um, will it show in games it, in low A? That's to be seen. But you know, on paper, he's got all the tools to become a very very exciting prospect, especially if he has a breakout year. He just just reps, just reps, and showing that it's not all smoke. I mean, he's eighteen years old. He's spent his whole life romping just the people he grew up around, you know, the people in his neighborhood and stuff. So he hasn't. I, I, I can't get excited about someone who's eighteen years old. Um, you know, it it was hard for me to get excited for Marcelo Mayer uh, when he got drafted. Um, seems like he's started off pretty well. Uh, in his first uh, year and a half um, in the organization, but it's it's. I mean, we don't. You don't know a damn thing about him. He was like, think about what you were doing at eighteen years old. You know, like you didn't know anything about yourself when you're eighteen years old. He's still got a lot of way. He's still got a lot of uh, strides. He's got to make. He's. I, I can't imagine being eight. I can't even imagine being eighteen year old years old and being halfway decent at baseball. Let alone being eighteen years old and trying to to figure out how you're gonna hit uh a, a mid 90s fastball uh playing professionally even if it isn't low a or high a um so it's i i've seen a few highlights of miguel blaze and that's it so it's it's hard for me to say anything uh about him but it's exciting to hear people talk about him and see him on uh you know within the top 100 on some of these lists but i mean come on we don't know a damn thing about him yet I think it'll definitely be interesting. I mean, he's got to play a full season, right? He's going to start the year in Salem. Um, and Luke, you want to talk about getting reps? I mean, uh, that's where it starts, right? Low A, playing every day, covering center field every day. And and just like you said, um, showing that all of that talent um, can cross over into being uh, an everyday baseball player. Derek, do you want to wrap this one up? Yeah, I think the thing with Miggy Blaze is just – you know, it's still he's still a long way away. It's still you know his EMB ETA is still only twenty twenty six. So we're not you know this isn't a guy we're looking forward to like in the next couple of years. It's gonna take some time for him to get where we hope he can be. But that hope of where he can be is very promising. And yes, there's a lot of outcomes where he could reach. You know, Gilberto Jimenez looked like he was gonna be a great prospect, and then he and then he's just kind of faded away into oblivion. So. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't pan out. But I think Miguel Blaze has already put himself higher regarded than what Gilberto Jimenez ever did, 
and Miguel Blazes seems to be able to uh, seemingly will go past that and hopefully turn into a good player for the Red Sox. But yes, that is very far down the road. So the hope is just to see him continue his development. Um, and the best thing for him, you know, if you can kind of see an uh, improvement in the approach, because it is always a thing with these guys in the lower minors, is you want to work on their approach at the plate. It feels like that's a thing for every guy in the minors. Um, so, yeah, that's always one thing that, you know, if that approach improves, I think it'll allow him to show the hit tool even more and even show off some more power. And he better work out because now once you've played eight games in Salem, Pat is officially attached to you and he will not allow he will he will lose his mind if the Red Sox think of trading him. Once you've made an appearance in in Salem, you are you are one of Patrick's boys. You are you are a Red Sox guy. Luke, that is uh, only only if uh, you want to trade them. That's how I feel. Or if they play shortstop. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So speaking of some farm system rankings, I want to transition now to uh, a topic of a bit of controversy, uh, especially on Red Sox Twitter over the past week. Um, we brought up earlier uh, the athletic. Keith Law of the Athletic released his farm system rankings, uh, ranking all 30 clubs uh, farm uh, systems. And, you know, this is but last week. Um, for those who have joined us in the space here tonight, we have a good crew. Thank you for being here. Lots of familiar names. Uh, and if you're listening to this on the pod feed next week, it's about two weeks uh, by the time you're listening to this. He released his farm system rankings and ranks Boston 23 out of 30, 23rd place. Okay. And for an organization that talks a lot about long-term sustainability, has been working on this over the past couple of years, 23 seems like a bit of a blow, right? He writes, their group of position player prospects is probably in the upper half of farm systems, but their group of pitching prospects is one of the weakest. So my question, is this an accurate ranking? Does Boston fall roughly 23rd when it comes to farm systems? Derek, I'll go to you first. I think here's the problem with having one guy rank all the farm systems. You can't know the total ins and outs of every single farm system and every guy that might be underrated by national, like guys like a Keith Law who might not see a guy who's in low A because he's in low A, but then you see guys that only follow the Red Sox system and it's like, oh yeah, this guy's really good. And I think an example of that is a guy like Luis Perellis who uh, Sox prospects has as their number 10 prospect and the best pitching prospect in the low minors. And Keith Law didn't even put him in the red and his Red Sox top 20 prospects. Uh, so there's definitely a difference in where they see that. Also, too, here it brings up a little bit of the problem with the farm system right now. And I, I think the Red Sox, the 23rd ring, I think that's that's a little bit, you know, low for them. I think they should definitely be in the, you know, 11 to 15 range seems about right. Um, but I think the big thing is there's like a gap. There's like two groups in the system. It's the high minors guys, guys like Bay who just graduated, but then also two guys like, you know, Cassis and, you know, and uh, Rafael is kind of in that group and Brian Mata and Brandon Walter, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have your low minors group of Marcelo Meyer and Mickey Blaise and Nick York and Mikey Romero and, you know, Godin and Luis Perales, uh, you know, Elmer Rodriguez Cruz, et cetera, uh, and San Paulino. So that, that's, so there's like a, but there's like that gap in like double A where there's not many guys and it, 
it kind of makes it so all the depth in the system is in low A or high A. So it makes the system, if you're just kind of looking over all the system, it's like, yeah, the system's not that great. Uh, but when you get into the weeds of it, it's like it, you definitely see more potential. But overall, farm system rankings don't really matter because people have been saying, oh, the Astros don't have a farm system. Well, they keep on bringing in guys and calling up guys who have had success. Jeremy Pena, um, you know, look back, look at their look at all their pitching prospects that they brought up. You know, Christian Javier, Luis Garcia, Framber Valdez, et cetera, et cetera. Those guys weren't super highly touted prospects, especially because they were a little older but they've turned into very good big leaguers, right? So at the end of the day, it's more about developing big leaguers. And if the Red Sox are doing that, the prospect rankings really don't matter. Well, the thing is, we haven't seen most of these players. So that's really all we have to judge. All right, is this going, especially when your your president of baseball operations is obviously trying to build up the farm system. Um, and we're not going to, nobody, very few people are going to take time to, uh, regularly look in on who's doing well in single A, double A, triple A, and high A, high double A, whatever the different, however many different, uh, teams or teams there are in the organization in the minor league. So, I mean, someone like me, I just look at the prospect rankings, prospect rankings to see what people who study that stuff for a living have to say. And, if I see them drop from, I don't know what Keith Law ranked them at last year, um, but he's uh, always been low on them. Okay, well then that helps because when I he was his was the first rankings that I saw come out this year, and when I saw they were they were twenty third, I was like, geez, most people had him tenth, eleventh, twelfth last year, and now someone's got him twenty third. So there's a problem here, and. That's, I mean, if Bayo and Casas were not considered prospects, that probably wouldn't have affected affected me that much. But I mean, Casas is still considered a prospect because he only had seventy five or whatever at bats last year. So, um, in in other rankings, I saw them at like thirteenth, fifteenth, something like that. So, considering Bayo moved up, not you know, it's not that concerning. But I would like to see him keep moving up, especially when. You know, Heim Bloom is not signing stars. He is focusing on developing uh, the the farm system and developing players that he can bring up to the big team. Uh, so I would like to see him keep going up every year when they're not really committing uh, big contracts to anybody but Devers. So I'm a little concerned they didn't move up this year. I figured they would move up another couple notches in everybody's rankings, but it seems like at best they kind of stayed stagnant. So, I mean... Yeah, and Derek might say, yeah, prospect rankings don't really matter. And, of course, they don't really. But if we want to judge, if regular fans are going to judge how well Bloom is doing, um, you know, there's guys like Kassim who could care less who who is in the minor leagues. It's just about the big team. But other fans, it's like if the prospect ranking drops or stays stagnant, doesn't improve, then a guy like Heim Bloom, in their eyes, is not – what is he doing then? He's not loading up on the big league team and he's not improving the organization in the eyes of the people who keep track of this kind of stuff. So, so that's, so that seems like, you know, cosmetically it looks like a problem. Yeah. I think the problem with some prospect rankings too, is like you look at the Red Sox organization, look at the farm system and it's like, yes, they lost Bayo and Nick York had a down year more, more so because of injuries. He proved that he still has, you know, he, he was very good in the Arizona Fall League, so I am I have no worries about Nick York. But some people do, 
which, you know, it was one year that he had some injuries. It's To me, you want to see him healthy, but I think talent-wise, he's fine. Um, and then, too, you know, you look at, you know, I'll use Sox prospects as the comparison. Like, they have Miguel Blaze as the number three prospect ahead of Rafaela, whereas right now you see a lot of a lot of rankings have Rafaela over Blaze, and you, I think there was one ranking that had Rafaela over Casas, which was like outrageous. Um, because although I love Rafaela, he's not a better prospect than Tristan Casas. Let's be fair. Um, and then also too, you know, a lot of the Red Sox guys they're in the low minors, so it's still you know going to be a while. But I think the way to really judge the farm system, and I guess even the rebuild of the farm system, is more so. Not necessarily prospect rankings. Yes, they help, but just like in a way of more of a way of are they producing big league talent from the farm system? Because like I, like the Houston Astros example I brought up, guys like Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, you know, they weren't super highly touted prospects, especially because they were a little older. But they've still turned into MLB players. Jeremy Payne has turned into a good MLB player. Hunter Brown, who's he's now in top 100, uh, heading into 2023, but he had an impact for them down the stretch. wasn't really going into last year, as far as I remember, wasn't in top 100s. So it's more about can you produce big league players. The Atlanta Braves, their prospect rank is going to be down because they're losing Michael Harris, Harris and Spencer Strider, but those guys just finished one and two in rookie of the year voting at the same time. So I think that it's more about can you produce big league players and if the Red Sox are producing big league players and talented big league players, that's all you're asking for. All right, fellas, I want to transition now to um, our, our final topic on our agenda. This is something that's been on my mind a lot recently, and, and so that's why I wanted to bring it up. Uh, the World Baseball Classic uh, comes back this year after a couple of years off and takes place, as it does, right in the middle of spring training. Uh, we know a couple guys on the Major League roster that'll be um, representing their home countries. Uh, Kike is going to play for Puerto Rico. Uh, we believe Rocky's going to play for the DR. Uh, we believe that Yoshida is going to play for Japan. In fact, we know that. Um, so that's, you know, those are those are three everyday guys that will not be in, in big league camp. You take uh, on top of that um, major league rest that you see a lot in spring training. So my question is, are we going to see anybody in uh, uh, spring training this year? kind of break out, right? A quick uh, sort of smaller example would be last year, Ryan Fitzgerald, right? He won everybody's hearts, uh, uh, including Kevin Euclid's hearts in spring training last year. Uh, you know, there were some some rumors of, of him bumping up solely because of his, his performance in spring training. On top of regular big league arrest, we're going to see some guys just not there at all. Are there going to be any guys who uh, impress uh, Alex Cora, impress the coaching staff, and make a big impression now that they have a little bit more playing time in spring training? Derek, I'll go to you first. Um, Well, first I'll kind of cover who's going to play in the World Baseball Classic, kind of trying to cover everyone who's playing. Um, Kenley Jansen said he'll only play if the Netherlands make it to the semifinals um, because I'm pretty sure the Netherlands, I think their group is in Taiwan. And then their quarterfinal would be in Japan. So I guess he just doesn't want to fly, you know, all the way to Taiwan and then Japan. Um, so he'll be with the Red Sox uh, uh, the whole spring training unless the Netherlands makes it to the semifinals. Um, and then the Netherlands would still have to bring him on. I don't know if they would want to, but I would think they would. 
Um, from the pitch, so from the pitching side, it's really only Nick Pavetta playing for Canada, and I don't know if that's been confirmed or not. I, we know Paxton isn't going to isn't going to pitch for Canada. On the Derek, position player side, I want to jump in real quick um, for, for folks listening to us tonight. We're not entirely sure. Anybody listening to this on Monday morning, you will know the answers to some of these questions because rosters are coming out on Thursday of this week. Um, but go ahead, Derek. Yes. Uh, yeah, we haven't heard the rosters yet. Uh, it seems like Devers is going to play for the DR, Kike for Puerto Rico, uh, Yoshida for Japan. Seems like Verdugo for Mexico. Um, Duran's was on Mexico's preliminary roster, the 50-man preliminary roster. Um, so those guys, uh, Sedan Rafaela, who we've talked about tonight, uh, is on the Netherlands' 50-man uh, preliminary roster, and I would think he'll, he'll make their roster. Um, so I think the big thing is lack of outfielders, especially if Yoshida, Verdugo, Durant, and Rafaela are all playing. So you're going to have guys like Adam Duvall there. And yeah, Ref Snyder will be there. I think the guy this really is a chance for is Nico Goodrum because versatility, can play the infield, can play the outfield, switch hitter, um, you know, just brings versatility and on the bench that could help because I'm pretty sure he can play first, second, third, short, left, center, and right field. So just being able to have that versatility, if you can add him to the bench, it seems like the Red Sox maybe could use a bench bat, especially if Adalberto Mondesi starts the season on the injured list. Um, so having a guy like Nico Goodrum could definitely, you know, if he can claim a um, if he could claim a roster spot, then uh, you know that could be huge. We'll see what he does. Um, then on the pitching side, I want to bring up Dan Altavia because the Red Sox signed him to a two-year minor league deal. Uh, heading into last year, knowing that he was going to have Tommy John last year. And we'll see what he looks like, but he's a guy who's not on the 40-man, um, but he could potentially factor in to some sort of the picture of relief relief pitcher depth. Um, so that's another name I just want to bring up because we'll see what he looks like coming off of Tommy John. Um, besides that, um, I know Marcel Meyer could play for, for uh, Mexico too, um, but the only thing is, if he even if he was to be in big league camp, it wouldn't be for long. So I don't know how much game time he would actually get. Luke, I know that this is a uh, this is a, a question really for Derek, but I want to know if you have any any thoughts on this. We have a lot of guys that will not be in big league camp, um, and I know that you've mentioned before, you know, some injury concerns, things like that. I just want to hear your quick thoughts on this. I think if I were the Red Sox, I would beg Devers not to play in the WBC. I would probably ask Kenley Jansen not to play in the WBC just because he's getting on in years. He's 36 years old. Uh, I just think, I mean, I love the idea of the WBC. I do wish they just, they just left major league players out of it uh, just because I don't want my team getting getting scratched. I don't want some somebody on my team getting injured because of it. I saw the Yankees aren't letting Luis Severino uh, pitch in the W, or, or at least have asked him not to, and that that may have caused some issues uh, between Severino and the team. But I mean, especially a guy like him who's had so many injury issues before. What is he thinking? Even even considering playing in the WBC, I get it. You got national pride and stuff like that, but this is your, this is your career. And this is your, you play for a a team with high expectations. And I just feel like it's kind of a tone deaf thing to, 
to do that. And I, I mean, I may sound like a killjoy here because I'm sure there's people who like watching the WBC, but it just, it's not as important. It's not as important. It's not the Olympics. Um, it's, it's a fun little event. Uh, but I just think there's way too much at stake, uh, especially if you're talking about a star like Devers, a guy who they expect a lot from, need a lot from, like Kenley Jansen. Um, so, yeah, my only issue is my, I mean, my issue is I don't want good play. I don't want good players um, for my team going there. So I, I just think it's just a, a, a disaster waiting to happen. And if Devers plays in the WBC, I'm going to be, if I watch it, I'm going to be cringing every time he steps in and I'm just going to be begging for it to be over. I'm going to be begging for a quick exit by the Dominican, which will never happen uh, just so he doesn't get hurt. I don't want any of my, my thoughts on the WBC are go USA as long as none of my, none of the players on my team get hurt. Um, so yeah, I want USA to win, but no Red Sox get injured. I wish none of them would play in it. Yeah, can I also bring up too? I just um, because I'm looking at the 40 man roster. Um, because I know Nico Goodrum's not on the 40 man roster, but I want to just bring up a couple names who are on the 40 man roster. I don't think either of them will make the big league roster out of spring training, even if they do well in spring training. But having a good start to the season would be very nice to see for both of these guys. Uh, David Hamilton won because I would think Kike is going to go play for Puerto Rico. So there'll be some openings that shorts up. I think Nico Goodrum will take some of them in spring training, but David Hamilton can take some of them. Um, but then also, too, Emmanuel Valdez, um, left-handed bat. So, you know, how many left-handed bats do you really need on a team? I think also, too, I think they still want to see him a little bit in AAA. Um, and it's it's more so a question of defense with them. I mean, maybe he'll get some games at second base in spring training. Um so we'll see uh, what happens uh, with him defensively because no one really knows where he's going to play because he can play second base. But he's not really good defensively anywhere. That's more the question with him is where do you put him defensively? Um, but I think those are two guys that, you know, if they have good spring trainings, that could really help kickstart their season uh, when they go to AAA to start 2023. All right, guys, I think we're going to wrap it there. We were hoping we were going to have some time at the end for, for any questions, but we also wanted to stick under an hour, and I don't think that uh, both of those things are likely, so I think it's probably best just to call it here. Um, so anybody who's here listening in, in the Twitter space right now, thanks for joining us. Thanks for, you know, this is our inaugural uh, episode of this. Um, we're going to check in every so often on a lot of these guys that definitely, you know, they keep Sox Nation a buzz. Um, and if you're listening to this uh, on the pod in a second, you'll hear, you know, all the places uh, that you can find us. I'm going to give you the quick rundown for anybody here, bleacherbrawls.com, uh, YouTube channel, and of course here on Twitter. Okay. Um, this is a show that's going to return uh, maybe a little bit into the season, maybe about halfway through the season. We're going to check in, um, return to some of these discussions, return to some of these guys, and, of course, hit any of the storylines that are happening at the time, okay? Um, any final thoughts, Luke or Derek, uh, before I officially wrap it up? Uh, not for me. Um, you know, uh, go Red Sox. Go on, go on Manuel Van Valdez. I, I want to see him. I want to see him on the team at some point this year. 
whether it's just in September or if uh, they need a bat because of injuries, uh, I'm high on him. He was the guy they got from the Astros in the Christian Vasquez trade. So I hope we see him, and I hope uh, we see uh, him raise some eyebrows this year because I think we'll, at some point, uh, maybe it'll take a year or two, but I think we will see uh, some big contributions from uh, Emmanuel Valdez. Um, I do want to bring up just real quick uh, as wrapping this up, just three names to look out for heading into 2023. Um, just maybe have guys that have breakout years. Uh, Edinson Paulino, I really like. Uh, Ryan Fernandez, relief pitcher, I really like. And then I would be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, someone who, you know, probably best pet catching prospect in the system, Nathan Hickey. We'll see how he does too. So those are three guys I just want to bring up as potential maybe breakout candidates. All right, we'll see how many of those names we bring back up uh, the next time we check in. Until then, like I said, you know where to find us, folks. Thanks for tuning in, and we will catch everybody next time. All right, folks, that's the latest episode of Bleacher Brawls. Thanks for tuning in, for rating us five stars, and leaving us a nice review. And don't forget to check us out on BleacherBrawls.com, on YouTube, and on Twitter.